life? Well, I think you need to ask yourself, have I lived God's life? The scriptures say that David fulfilled the purposes of his generation and then he died. That's the pressing question this morning. Am I living the life that God has ordained for me? Am I fulfilling the purposes, the plans, the vision, the roadmap that God wants for us individually? If we can answer that question and say, yes, I'm doing what God wants me to do at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, then we will fulfill our destiny. But if we can't answer in the affirmative, we can't say, yes, I know I'm doing what God wants me to do, the way he wants me to do it, in the place that he wants me to do it, at the time that he wants me to do it, then our GPS isn't right. We're missing the wrong road. We're not where God wants us to be, and it's so important that we do that. And we've been looking at this idea of being transformed, being renewed from within dealing with our past and things that might hold us back and then breaking through that and becoming Christ-like. But I want to look at this road to change a little differently today. I want you to think about how God is changing you so that you can be a change agent in the life of other people. Because I believe God has a plan for your life, a very specific one, for you to be a change agent in some way, shape or form. He's got a very specific purpose that he wants you to fulfill, a career, a role in a family, a relationship with different people. It's ordained for you and you alone. And I think one of the scariest facets of Western Christianity is that we can't answer that question quite often and say, yes, Lord, I know. I know I'm where you want me. I know I'm doing what you want me to do at the time you want me to do it, in the way that you want me to do it, with the people you want me to do it. Because that's God's intention. And sometimes if we miss that mark, what are we actually doing with our life? We're living a counterfeit life to what God had ordained and planned for us. I want to explore that a little bit today. Because I believe we're agents of change. That in the way that we live our lives, we we set a model up for our fatherhood or our motherhood or being a brother or a sister or a friend or a schoolmate or a workmate. We're we're role modeling. We're modeling something. We're leading by the way that we live out our lives, the way that we, our character speaks volumes of who we are as people. People are watching, observing, learning from us. And we exert influence by the lifestyle that we live. And the things that we're passionate about, they're all things that people will see and observe And they will cause change, godly change, hopefully, in the lives of people around us. One of the guys that I believe in Scripture that that personifies this was a man called Nehemiah. Um, I'm going to condense the sermon today, so we're not going to read a whole lot. I'm going to encapsulate the story for you. But Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, cupbearer wasn't a very high-profile job. Even though you were in the king's presence, your role was to make sure that the king didn't die. So you would taste the wine before he did, and if it was poisoned, you died, not him. So it might sound like a high-profile, pretty classy job, being the cupbearer to the king, but you were really the guy that was protecting him. You were the guinea pig. And if the cup was poisoned, well, you died. So his life may have been a great one in some senses, but he was also just someone in the in the side, in the background. 
And Nehemiah heard a report about the people back in Jerusalem. He heard a report about how the walls of the city had been ruined by invaders, been smashed down, they were in decay. The city was a mess. The people that were living there were in terrible affliction and something happened in his life. When he heard that report, when it went into his ears, something transpired deep in his heart and he was filled with compassion. And he went into his prayer room and he cried out to God and he said, God, we've sinned against you. That's why we're being punished as a nation. But God, we want to see your mighty hand move. We want to see restoration of the walls, but more important, restoration of people's lives. And I believe everyone sitting here today, God has called you to restore people's lives in some way, shape or form. God has got a job for you to do. It might be a lifelong job. It might be a seasonal job. It may chop and change, but God's got a plan for you. And you've got to know what the plan is. You can't just say, well, we're going back to the States unless it's God's plan. You can't say we're going to Australia unless you know it's God's plan. You can't start a family unless you know it's God's plan. You can't marry that person unless you know it's God's plan. You can't choose that career unless you know it's God's plan. You can't do anything unless you know you're walking in the footsteps of what God has ordained for you. The thing about Nehemiah was that when he heard that report, God put something in his heart and he was deeply impacted and moved with compassion. Compassion is the starting point of having a plan and a purpose and a vision for your life. You've got to be moved by something. What God placed on my heart was that I was moved by the state of the church. And so my passion is to start churches where we get back to the real truth of doing church God's way. That's what God's burdened my heart on. That's what I'm compassionate about. And when I hear stories about churches falling apart or people not feeling fulfilled, my heart aches. Because I know God has a plan for his church and I want to be a change agent to create churches where people come and articulate what you have this morning, that you feel loved and accepted and important. And I believe that's God's ordained plan for the church. That's what I'm passionate about. And the word compassion has the word compass and passion. And so when you're compassionate about something, you've got a direction and, and, and a vision for your life because that thing moves you. It brings you to tears. You can't get away from it. It's something that aches in your heart. It's a burden. And then God has put it there. It gives you a, a mission for your life or a bearing. You know, Jesus was moved by compassion. That's why he did the things that he did. That's why he healed people. That's why he hung on a cross, because he was moved by compassion about the state of our lives and knew the only way for us to be redeemed was for him to suffer and die. So he had the feelings, but then he took action. He knew that he was the one that had to suffer and die. Lord Jesus, we want to go where you are, you're going. No, you can't carry the role and the responsibility that I've been given. That's my task. I've got to do that. And the same goes for us. So I want to ask you this morning, firstly, what moves you? What is it about life that moves you? What people group moves you? 
what area of life moves you. It could be caring for little kids, and that's what you're passionate about. You're passionate about educating young kids and nurturing them, and it could be orphans in Africa. I don't know because that's not my responsibility. It's God that's going to impart that compassion. It'll be different for all of us, but we've got to discover what it is. I know God's put something on our hearts. God's not aimless. He doesn't just set us in motion and just leave us to aimlessly meander around. He's got a vision and a plan. So when we, when we are moved, there's compassion in our hearts. Suddenly we've got a bearing. We know what we should be doing. We've got to focus on that. But the other word that's involved in that compassion is to be passionate. So it's not just feelings, but then there's motivation to take action, to actually intervene and to do something and to get involved and to be part of it. And then we become a catalyst for change because our life is centered on those things and we exert all our energy and our effort and our passion. I can tell you what you're passionate about because if I start talking to you about it, you won't shut up. And if we're sitting around the dinner table and I bring the subject up, it won't matter what the time is on the clock because you'll just yabber away because you're passionate about it. So don't ever talk to me about the health of churches because I'll yabber away for hours because I'm passionate about it and it breaks my heart at the same time. And at times when I think it's too much and I just want to give up, I can't because God put it on my heart. And it was the same for Nehemiah. God put something on his heart. He was a cupbearer to a king a nobody, and yet he had the courage and the faith to ask a king who'd actually gone and taken his nation into captivity, could he go back and rebuild the walls? took incredible courage, but he, did, but he was so moved and so compelled to do it because the love of God in him for his people compelled him. And I believe when we put ourselves in that place where we do the things that God's compelled us to do, look out because we're passionate people then. We're satisfied and we're fulfilled because we're doing what God wants us to do. When we've got a compass, when we've got a bearing in life and we add to that passion, we end up with vision, a vision for our life, a sort of a, an overarching goal that we're striving to be involved in somewhere, somehow. And the scripture tells us that without vision, the people perish. That verse gets bantied around quite a bit into the wrong shape and meaning. What that really means is where God's word is not preached, where God's revelation is not there, people cast off restraint. In other words, there's anarchy because there's no goalpost, there's no direction for people's lives. But it does play in, out in our life that when we don't have a vision, when we don't have a sense of importance about what we're doing in life, we're just aimlessly wandering around. But I believe that Jesus had a had a, a vision statement. He said, he, it was the first thing he ever spoke about. He stood up and said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me, put this on my heart, to what? Set captives free, release people that were blind, all those different things. It was a vision statement to rebuild and restore lives. And when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that was the overarching theme for all of us. But then we can break that great commission down into the little bits and pieces that you and I have to fulfill. And when we all do our part and our plan and we put the jigsaw together, we get the kingdom of God advancing. 
But when we don't play our part, when we don't know what our vision is, when we're not compassionate, when we're not passionate about something, what is our faith? What does our life stand for? We're going to get to the end and we're going to look like that man did and ask the question, what did I do with my life? To me, that's the saddest question a Christian could ask at the end. Lord, did I do what you wanted me to? No, you should know. You should know what God wants you to do. Now, that can be a process and that can chop and change. But at any, any given point in our journey, we should be able to turn our Christian GPS on and know, yeah, I'm where God wants me to do. be. I'm doing what God wants me to, to do. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. So when we ask for Christian protection, it doesn't mean that God's going to wrap us in cotton wool and place us in a nice church where it's all rosy. He might call us to go to Africa tomorrow. And I think that's part of the reason why sometimes we don't want to know the answer because we're frightened of what God might call us to do. But what's the alternative? We get to the end and we've missed the mark. So today, this morning, what I really want to encourage you to do is not condemn you because you're not 100% sure of what you are doing, but to encourage you that God has ordained a unique vision for our lives. I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future and to prosper you. So God's got a plan, right? We all agree on that. There's a master plan for your life, for every stage and facet of your life. God's got the plan. He even said in Ephesians 2.10 that he planned good works for us to do in advance. So even before we were born, God had the roadmap. The question is, have we connected with that roadmap and understood it and said, yes, Lord, I'll go. Here I am. Send me. Yes, I'm willing to do what you've put in front of me. And God said, Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you. Great and mighty things I will show you. So God's got a plan. It's very specific. The missing point is, do we know what it is? Because once we discover what it is, we then just got to choose, do I obey or do I disobey? The grassroots of Christianity is that you have no choice. You have no right to say no. Because surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is really saying, here is the right to control and rule and govern and guide my life. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're laying down our own ambitions. We're laying down our career choices. We're laying down who we want to marry. We're laying down every facet of our life and we're saying, God, that's your choice. That's your decision. Mine is to follow. It's hard stuff, isn't it? But the flip side of that is knowing that what God has wired us up to do individually, what he's uniquely shaped us to do, is the most fulfilling thing that we can do with our lives. Because God made us that way to do it. So if God's called you to be an architect, then be the best architect you can for God. There's no stigma what the role is or what the responsibility is. If God's called you to be a housewife for a season and to raise kids, fantastic. Invest the very best into your children. It's not a competition to have the best task. It's just to do what God's called you to do it and to do it to the very best of your capacity, to excel at it, to do it as unto the Lord. So if you're a Milk and cows, Philip. Do it as unto the Lord. 
you know, if you're, uh, you know, pastor in a church, do it as under the Lord. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The principle is the same, that God wants us to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and then we've got to engage. Because then we'll be, we'll just, it'll just be right. And so if you're here today and you don't know, if you can't answer that question, then you've got to come back to God and say, God, reveal it to me. Show me. Show me. I remember pastoring a church on Mount Tambourine and I asked the people, could you stand up if you know that you're in the right location at the right time, doing the right things for God, would you stand up? A church of 200 people. I think five people stood up. That scares me. That scares me to know that, what, 190 people weren't 100% sure they were doing what God wanted. That's dangerous Christianity. Because being in the center of God's will is not a safe place. It's not an easy place. There's no guarantees that you'll come out the other side unscathed. In fact, probably being in the center of God's will is that you will get stretched. And here's some things that I want to share with you this morning. The foundation of a godly vision is always dependent on God. When Nehemiah saw the need and was moved with compassion, he went, what the? I've got no capacity to change that. How am I going to rebuild walls? I need all this stuff. But what he discovered was it wasn't about him. It was how big God wanted to be in his life and allowing that vision not to crush him, but to walk in that vision. And to know if God says, Jenny, I want you to do this, and he's going to ask you to do it, but he's also going to give you the capacity to fulfill it. Maybe not up front, <laughs> but that's the journey of faith. You know, you've got to walk the steps in the journey. But a godly vision always comes back to dependence on God. You can't do it in your own strengths. So if it's way beyond you and it frightens the heck out of you, it's probably from God. If you think, yeah, I can do that, it might not be. Because normally God will stretch us way beyond what we can do because it puts us codependent on him. It's all birthed out of him. Godly vision is a revelation of how big God wants to be in your life. There's a group of young guys at our last church who came to me and said, we want to start an extreme sports ministry with motocross and BMX. It's going to be high risk, high cost. What do you think? My logical brain went, you guys are nuts. But when I went and prayed about it, they had all these things. They were passionate about it. They were deeply moved by the plight of people in our nation. They wanted to see God's hand move way beyond their capacity to fulfill it. And so they started JC Epidemic and it's become a really huge ministry. And that's the thing. God had a plan and a vision for their life. And they unearthed that, they understood that, they stepped into it, and God has fulfilled their needs all the way along. A godly vision will always contain inconvenience and risk. There's always a risk factor. For Nehemiah to ask the king, the king could have just cut his head off, could have, could have done anything to him for being bold enough to ask for all those provisions. But there's always inconvenience. God will ask you to go places. If God says, Joe, tomorrow, sorry, love, I've got a plan for you. It's in Antarctica. <laughs> that can be the response. 
But you know what I'm saying? Like if God's got the roadmap, we've got to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go. Well, we didn't want to come back to cold Victoria. That wasn't my roadmap. My roadmap was some warm, sunny beach somewhere. But I knew that to say no meant another road would have to be traveled. And if that wasn't God's road for me, then who knows what danger or what second choices may be down that road. God's got a plan for us. Godly vision will always entail a costly measure of personal sacrifice. It's going to cost you. Could be finances, could be your reputation, could be your career. God might say, give that up, Daryl. You're not an accountant anymore, mate. I've got a plan for you to be a pastor. But that's not my plan, Lord. But if that's what God puts in front of you, you have to make the choice. Godly vision necessitates audacious faith. Can you imagine being Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem, sneaking out to have a look at all the walls, walking around Jerusalem and seeing the mess and just thinking, how can I rebuild that? What was going through his heart and mind when he surveyed the destruction and the mess? Yet he came out the other side that he didn't go back to his room and go, God, it's too hard. I'm going back to be a cupbearer. He took up a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And he cast the vision that he had and other people caught it. And we know the end of the story is that he rebuilt the walls. So a godly vision always requires perseverance and persistence. Defense and offense. Not everybody's going to agree that that's God's roadmap for your life. That's why you've got to have a conviction about what God's called you to do and stick to it. Stay the path. A godly vision will always attract opposition. There'll always be naysayers. They could be your own family. I remember when Cheryl became a Christian, Cheryl's dad just swore at her and me. There's always someone that will come against vision, come against God's plan for your life. That's why you've got to know it's God's plan for you personally, tailor-made, wrapped up, given to you. Paul, this is it. This is your road. Not my road to trouble. It's yours. And every one of us has got that choice. And God calls us, I believe, to be faithful in the little things. And that determines the roadmap of our life. That if God can entrust us with little things to be faithful with, then those things will increase along the way. And God will trust us with much bigger things because we've been faithful with the very little. So do you know what your assignment is in advancing the kingdom of God? Is Pakenham, eastern suburbs of Melbourne, the place where God's called you to be? Tick, cross. Is this the right season in my life to be doing what I'm doing? There are seasons in your life. There are times and seasons where things are not right and it's not the right time, but there's a burning passion in your life, but you're just going to have to wait till the door opens. There are seasons. Am I in the right field? Am I doing the right ministry? It's no good Ross being the worship leader if God wants him to be out with the kids. You know what I mean? It's no good Christina being at four C's if, if God wants her somewhere else. That's what we've got to be certain about. So God has shaped us with a personality and giftedness unique to us to extend the kingdom of God. There are specific tasks for each of us to do in executing the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So what has God put in your heart? What has he placed there that's your call, that's your vision, 
That's your task. That's your responsibility. Because when we do that, we will be change agents for the kingdom. We'll be the right catalyst. We'll be the right person in the right place at the right time, bringing the right wisdom and giftedness and talents. And then God will be pleased because we've done what he's called us to do. It's the sort of topic that's difficult because if you're not sure what you're doing, you feel condemned, right? You feel, oh, that's not fair. I don't really know. My point is God will show you. He might not show you the answer you want. My dream and ambition was to be a businessman and make a lot of money. That didn't work out. <laughs> and I wrestled with two years with God to let that go, to surrender that and say, no, okay, God, if that's the path for you, then I've got to choose it. I could have said no. And we can all say no, but I want to encourage you today to say yes and amen. Yes, Lord, I'll follow that path, whatever it is. And if you're not sure, call to me. I might answer you, perhaps will answer you. Call to me and I will answer you. Great and mighty things I will show you. God's got a plan for your life. For this day, for this week, for this month, for this year, for this decade, for this century, whatever. God's got a plan. Walk it, no matter what the cost. Be courageous enough to ask the question, God, where do you want me to be? And if he stretches you, praise God. I hope he does. I hope he really stretches you way beyond because he will do exceedingly abundantly above what you could ever dream and imagine. I remember when we moved to Fiji and we were halfway through the house and we ran out of money and I got really angry with God. I was having a downer day and couldn't buy any more timber. Felt like a failure because it was we just got stuck in the mud, you know. What's, what good's a half-finished house? Really no good to anybody. And I just said, Lord, what's going on? Like, come on, you got to come through. And about two hours later, the, the couple that ran the, the place where we were working came up to me and she said, oh, there was an American team here about two weeks ago. One of them's just sent us $2,000 to give to you. Here's the money. And this was a man that I had very little to do with, yet he been moved by God to do his part in the jigsaw puzzle, to send the money through a third party to give to me right at the right time when I was about to give up and say, it's all too hard. God came through. He will always come through, but he'll stretch us in the process because he wants that Christ-likeness in it. Jesus did it too. Father, if there's any way I cannot do this roadmap, if I don't have to do this thing, then, then let it go because I don't really want to hang on a cross. I don't want to be beaten and carry the sin of the world, but not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you love us so much, that before the foundation of the world, you chose us, and you mapped out our lives for us. And there's all sorts of crossroads and Y intersections and T intersections where we've got to make choices about our life. Which life partner will we choose? Which career will we take up? Are you calling me to do this or do that? Where do I serve with my talents? But I thank you, Lord, that you don't make that a mystery. You actually show us the steps. Maybe not the whole thing, but you show us at the time that we need it, which door to walk through, which road to travel. 
And Lord, I just pray today for those who are really not sure that they're in God's place at God's time doing God's thing. That Lord, they'd have the courage to call out and ask you. Lord, where do you want me to be the change agent? How do you want me to advance the kingdom of God? Where do you want me to be a warrior? Where do you want me to be a, a teacher? Where do you want me to be placed and positioned so that I fulfill your destiny for me? Because compassion gives birth, gives birth to a direction. And it gives birth to motivation. And those things together create vision. And Lord, when we fulfill your vision for our life, then destiny comes. And we fulfill our destiny in you. Father, for those who don't know today, I pray, Father, that you would reveal your purposes to them. And I thank you that your promises are sure that you will do that. It's not your plan for us to be aimless, but to be certain and sure of our calling. And Lord, for those who do know that they're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, Father, thank you that you've shown them and that they've been obedient. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us stay so close to you that we don't get off the path, that we stay glued to the tracks that you have for our life and we fulfill it. And last of all, Lord, I want to pray that no one steals our dreams or what you've put on our heart, that we'll never let go of the things that you've birthed in us, no matter what man might say, no matter what the circumstances may be, that, Father, we would fulfill what you've called us to do, put our shoulder to the plough and not look back. I want to read you this story. I have a friend named Monty Roberts who owns a horse ranch in San, whatever it is, California, Sidro. He has let me use his house to put on a fundraising event to raise money for youth at risk programs. The last time I was there, he introduced me by saying, I want to tell you why I let Jack use my horse ranch. It all goes back to a story about a young man who was the son of an itinerant horse trainer who would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm and ranch to ranch, training horses. As a result, the boy's high school career was continually interrupted. When he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to be and do when he grew up. That night, he wrote a seven-page paper describing his goal of someday owning a horse ranch. He wrote about his dream in great detail, and he even drew a diagram of a 200-acre ranch showing the location of all the buildings, the stables, and the track. Then he drew a detailed floor plan of a 4,000-square-foot house that would sit on a 200-acre dream ranch. He put a great deal of his heart into that project and the next day he handed it in to his teacher. Two days later, he received his paperback. On the front was a large red F with a note that read, see me after class. The boy with the dream went to the teacher after class and asked, why did I receive an F? The teacher said, this is an unrealistic dream for you, for a young boy like you. You have no money. You come from an itinerant family. You have no resources. Owning a horse ranch requires a lot of money. You have to buy the land. You have to pay for the original breeding stock. And later you'll have to pay large stud fees. There's no way you could ever do it. Then the teacher added, if you rewrite this paper with a more realistic goal, I'll reconsider your grade. So the boy went home and thought about it long and hard. He asked his father what he should do. His father said, look, son, 
You have to make up your own mind on this. However, I think this is a very important decision for you. So finally, after sitting with it for a week, the boy turned in the same paper, making no changes at all. And he stated to his teacher, you can keep the F and I'll keep my dream. Monty then turned to the assembled group and said, I tell you this story because you are sitting in my 4,000 square foot house in the middle of my 2,000 acre horse ranch. I still have that school paper framed over the fireplace. He added, the best part of the story is that two summers ago, the same school teacher brought 30 kids to the camp out on my ranch for a week. When the teacher was leaving, she said, look, Monty, I can tell you this now. When I was your teacher, I was something of a dream stealer. During those years, I stole a lot of kids' dreams. Fortunately, you had enough gumption not to give up on yours. Don't let anyone steal your dreams. Follow God's heart for you, no matter what. Follow God's heart for you. Amen. Amen.